Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comic books on sale January 23rd, 2019. And I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent Dam. And I'm Tucker Marcus, a.k.a. Agent Johnny DeLalo. <laughs> did you clear that with Johnny that you would mention I have, him? You know what I did? Oh, okay. And I said, Johnny, I want to give you a special show. Johnny for DeLalo, uh, audience development manager at Marvel New Media. He sits diagonally from me. Great man. And uh, hey, Johnny, and I promised him I'd give him a nice little shout out on this week's up. Very sweet of you. Going to make his year. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, but that's not what this show is about. This show is all about the new comics that are on sale and available this week. We're going to talk about them, tell you why we're so excited about them, what we liked, uh, get into who makes these comics, because that's such an important part of comic books and the people who make them. Uh, we'll tell you what's available on our Marvel apps this week, which sometimes that there's a bunch of things that are different from the stuff in your local comic shop. But first things first, before we get into those books, I got to give a shout out to uh, Rod Bunny Slay on Twitter for letting us know we missed a huge release last week. Mm-hmm. That was Jessica Jones' Purple Daughter number one. It's one of our Marvel digital originals, uh, available first as a sort of double-sized release on the Marvel Comics app. Thank you, Rodders, for the reminder and the glowing review of the book that you tweeted about. With that said, first things first, we're going to talk about Jessica Jones' Purple Daughter, number one, which is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Mattia de Iulis, with letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and a gorgeous and creepy cover by Martin Simmons. Uh, when you walked in here, you said, my first pick of the week is Jessica Jones number one, yeah. which I had to then say that was last week's book. Right. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. I, you know, am a huge fan of Kelly Thompson. I, there's just so much confidence in the writing in such a an amazing way that is like so perfectly Marvel, so perfectly like noir and that amazing private eye detective story where... Jessica is narrating what's going on and kind of keeping you up to date with every movement of her mind and yet it just feels so perfect and of course it should because this book is built for that kind of thing. But uh, the story itself is really fascinating and really tough um, because this hits home for Jessica in a way that goes beyond even what she's personally experienced with her own body, with her own self with her own mind because um, this is Danielle, her daughter. Um, Well, before you even get to that, uh, I want to make a couple things clear. Obviously, the title of the book is Purple Daughter, Mm -hmm. which gives you a sense of what's going on. But if you haven't read the first MDO Jessica Jones series, it is fully available on the Marvel Comics app. The print collection is available now. The first issue is actually on Marvel Unlimited this week, Mm. so you can check that out. But... This definitely ties into the very end of that story. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you can fast forward a little bit, two minutes or so, whatever it is, skip ahead, uh, because we don't want to spoil you if you don't want to. But we can't really talk about this without talking about the big bit at the end there. But it's kind of right in the title of the book. So, you know. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's always tough to talk about and to kind of balance these things. I will say, though, there should be no one on the fence about going back and reading or rereading Kelly's first submission in this Jessica Jones story because it is all incredible. It's all so well done. I mean, she's just made for it. But, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to see her analyzing these elements of this character and the way that she expresses these difficulties, the grief, the confusion, 
it is so real. It's so human, and it's really, really beautiful. And it's something that I think Jessica Jones, as a character, is really conducive to. And it's something I really enjoy about reading her. I love Matias art so much. I think specifically because it's an MDO and you're looking at it on a screen or something, just the colors are just popping and it's so crystal clear and it's just really brilliant to look at. And it all just fits in so perfectly, yeah. Would have been my pick of the week. Would have been my pick of the week last week, but uh, yeah, loved it so much. Yeah, almost one of my picks of the week. Well, you mentioned the grief and... This is one of my favorite things that Kelly's ever written. Mm-hmm. But like the second part of this hits on grief and trauma and loss. And even when the loss isn't fully lost yet, which is a really particular thing, it's like the prelude to loss mm-hmm. when it's so devastating in and of itself when you know something is coming. You know something – the end is near of, of something and it's things are falling apart, tearing your world apart – you can't stop it. You can't control it. You can't fully understand it. And all you can do is march toward it. Right. And like everybody goes through that at some point in their life. And like I was reading this and it was – it hurt. Yeah. Like I could feel that. And she does – some of Kelly's best writing, like really bringing you into that. Yeah. Neat stuff. That This also, of course, ties into the end of Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos's last Jessica Jones story. Really? Highly, highly suggested. Uh, with that said, let's get right into this week's books. And the first is – my first pick of the week, which is Avengers number 13. The story is called The Girl Who Punched the Dragon. And it is a spotlight on the first Iron Fist, the Iron Fist of 1 million BC, that old school Avengers team that we've been seeing uh, pull up here in Avengers. It's written by Jason Aaron and art by Andrea Sorrentino. Andrea Sorrentino, fantastic artist. Really, really great. Uh, did some wonderful stuff during Secret Empire. We're away for a little while, did some work elsewhere. This is his first book with us in a little bit, I think, in a couple months at least. And it is just like a reborn artist. Mm -hmm. This work in here, to me, is next level beauty and power. And it's just miles above almost everybody else (laughs) right now. Like, I'm looking at I'm a big Frank Quitely fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've read much Frank Quitely. He hasn't done anything for us in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I think you would really like his his artwork. Yeah, I I, I'm, I think I more know the the lore and legend. Yeah, uh, of quietly. Uh, but he draws this style that's detailed and unique, and he has this way of sometimes when you're you're reading a book and it feels like you flash a light on something, you capture a something in midair, mm-hmm. something happening, and he has that way of capturing something very precise very clear and crystal. That's what this this feels like to me. It's really just wonderful. The big battles feel immensely powerful, incredible, but you're getting this like, you know, like right. you feel like the flash goes off and yeah. you're getting this very cool moment. There's a thing we do with Iron Fist, naming the fighters moves with awesome titles. And the same exact thought right? that like, you're going to say. Yeah. Uh, we do that with Iron Fist. We do it with Doctor Strange, with the spells. With Iron Fist, and I, I may have hap- been happening for years and years but i really remember it starting with mortal iron fist fraction and brewbreaker and aha and then all those folks but you get those moments where the iron fist here she is letting loose and it's uh, this girl named fan Fei. she's 15 years old and we get moves like the krakatoa face exploder <laughs> the knee of nightmares and she is just friggin cool i want to curse so badly yeah, right yeah, now yeah. so good but 
Fan Fei, she is from Kunlun, and she is punished for helping Kate. She goes to Earth outside the Golden City. She goes to Earth. She helps cavemen. She's, like, protecting them. She's teaching them kung fu. And she ends up killing the dragon Shaolau, which at this point has never been done. Mm-hmm. Shaolau is just, like, a means of punishing people. When she kills the dragon, the, they're like, oh, no, everything is awry and it's wild. And then we see her story unfold after that. I, like this to me, especially this book, the way it's told, the way it's drawn, the way it's framed, feels like this should be a movie. There's also a moment in here where I need to ask Jason if he's channeling The Rock. Uh, there's a moment where Iron Fist meets Mephisto. She says something that is a rock catchphrase. And I know Jason, lo- <laughs> he, loves, uh, he loves wrestling. Uh, this may be my favorite comic of the year so far. Mm-hmm. I know it's early. We're getting January is heating up, y'all. Yeah. Last week was bonkers great too, and yeah. this one, this issue, wow. Yeah, I had a thought where you, while you were talking about that issue, Jason Aaron obviously he only hits home runs. What for you was like Jason's breakout series? Here's the thing though, like Jason's breakout series was right at the beginning of right. his career. Yeah, I remember reading his Ghost Rider, which is so long is eleven years ago. Mm. And just being like, this is the best Ghost Rider story I've ever read. <laughs> yeah. Wolverine and the X-Men was a long time ago. He's been hitting home runs. Like, what is that? What does the end of the, that career look like? <laughs> right. What does that resume look like? Yeah. When you look at it six, six, seven years writing maybe the greatest Thor epic of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Writing right now my favorite run on Avengers maybe of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, what else is he going to do? Yeah. He, was, was he never always, he was never warming up. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, he was never warming up. I yeah. think that's a perfect way to phrase yeah. it. Uh, that's awesome. So my first book this week is Crypt of Shadows, number one. It's written by Al Ewing, the master of horror, with art. There are three different stories in here. Uh, one is called Cinephobia, which has art by Gary Brown. There's another one called Grave Errors, which has art by Stephen Green. And the last is A Moment of Madness with art by Jibril Morissette Fawn with colors by Chris O'Halloran and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. Psych! This is my second pick of the week! Whoa! I know. It was so great. Yeah. I, I love this. Last mm. year, we did a whole big horror comics thing for This Week in Marvel. Uh, we did a bunch of stuff on Marvel's pull list. So I, you know, I still have some of the horror stuff in my brain. But Al, man, Al's another guy who is now like, He's like your Roger Maris? Sure. Uh, to Mickey Mantle. Yeah. I, like, I have to figure out who Mickey Mantle is, but <laughs> Jason is Babe Ruth. Like I see. Jason is Babe Ruth to me. Yes. Right now, like, yes. Al feels like he's Roger Maris. Like, right. he's getting that, but hopefully he'll have a longer tail. Yes, right? right. Like, he is right now just crushing it. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. Al is just, he does this whole thing. And this book is two stories, but it's kind of one looping story. And mm-hmm. the way it's told... It's very classic horror style tale, but you know it's got the morality and the betrayal and the the mistakes and the revenge and all this stuff. And it's gruesome and bloody and it's tragic, and it finds a way to be both modern, but very classic and iconic, almost Twilight Zone ish. Right. As you were speaking about that, 
with a, a ton of writers, you sense the way they write, you sense the way they approach comics specifically. And a lot of different writers come from different backgrounds and have different ways of approaching it. And some different perspectives sometimes are like so refreshing and so much fun to read. But really, I mean, starting off in these two books is so perfect because for me, Al Ewing and Jason Aaron are two guys that just speak the language of comics and they just get it so well they understand it beyond understanding it they don't just speak the language they like know the etymology of the entire dictionary of comics so every word they use and every choice they make every panel decision that you know that they're planning just is so organic to the media it feels so right you're just led in these beautiful places and you know i called him master of horror because of the incredible work that he's doing at the moment with immortal hulk which we'll get to in a little bit but this is really great we talk about this side of things elsewhere it's so awesome that this is the 80th anniversary and we're doing these great throwback kind of issues and these different genres and things like that because it's just a really great fun way to explore these different things that we don't always get to explore and i think this is like the perfect example of that yeah this has no superheroes in it Mm -hmm. this is not a superhero story we don't need it this is just great comics uh next book is alphabetically a little bit of a backtrack. It is Cloak and Dagger Negative Exposure Number 2. It is another Marvel Digital Original release. And uh, I really dug the first issue. You had Cloak and Dagger teaming up together, doing well but not dating. And Tandy has her bow, and Ty gets his girlfriend. It's got Mr. Negative and all these cool monsters. And this one, you know, the, the story is written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam uh, with art by Rari Coleman and colors by Giada Marchisio, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. But Everything is not okay in, in this one. We get to see new sides to Cloak, some manipulation of both Cloak and Dagger by Mr. Negative, and then there's this mysterious force that is sort of at the center of everything. And I, I'm reading this, and I don't, I don't know the story of this yet. I'm reading it sort of fresh. But I, it's driving me nuts at the same time because I don't know what the mysterious force is. Right. I've got guesses, but I'm, I'm like with all the readers right now. But, you know, you've got, of course – some rather disagreeable decisions by the characters in here. I don't know how I feel about the things going on mm-hmm. by the characters, but I'm really enjoying the ride of this series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Mr. Negative, that's my nickname at parties. Crowd goes wild. For listeners, Persia, our producer, did sort of a 450 eye roll where her eyes rolled so far back they came back around normal and then rolled again. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Our next book is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number two. I really dug this the first issue, but this is the one that really hooked me. It is written by Tom Taylor, art by Juan Cabal, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. It's got this rhythm of a really great Peter Parker Spidey story. Uh, you got sweet new heroes and villains. Well, they may be heroes and villains. We don't know everything yet, mm-hmm. uh, which is really fun. You got mystery, you got action, you got humor. Uh, Tom Taylor, just the best. He's so good that he's building this great world around Peter right off the bat. You know, the conceit of the story is hey, we get to see Spider Man all over the city, all kinds of adventures, all types of stuff. What have we focused in on? the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. What does his building look like? What do his neighbors look like? What does his block look like? What does his real pinpoint world look like? Which is really important for Spider-Man. He is, whenever I say like, hey, Marvel's the world outside your window, I look out the window, I can see Spider-Man swing by. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the thought here. Plus, Juan Cabal, 
just yeah. magic. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. I love the way he draws Spidey's fingers. You know, I get hooked on certain details. Totally. Uh, but they look meaty. There's a gorgeous full-page splash of Spidey holding a wall and protecting someone. You know the page I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the way his fingers are digging into the building, it's it's just so cool to me. Yeah. Like that level of detail and that sense of like scale and, and tension, it's a simple little thing, but it's really, really smartly done. Yeah. It's so neat. I hope you're reading this. I was in a, I was in a meeting uh, this week uh, in which editor-in-chief C.B. Sobolski actually specifically called out a lot of the points you said. To the room, he was just like, look at Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, the, the work that Juan Cabal is doing right now. It's, it just breathes so beautifully. Like, you know, you just feel like you're in that world in such a perfect way, and I completely agree. I also wanted to say uh, there's a moment in this issue uh, where Johnny Storm, old pal Peter, shows up that made me laugh out loud right? so hard. I laughed out loud on a plane reading it. It is like so pitch perfect. Johnny Storm made me laugh. It was so good. Uh, next up is my first pick of the week. This is Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Uh, it is written by Donny Cates with art by Jeff Shaw, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is the team that brought you Thanos Wins, the story that uh, really kicked off Donny and Jeff, their work here at Marvel in a really big way. Not even a year ago now? I, I just about a year ago? Yeah, just about it, a year pretty ago. Pretty crazy to think about that. All the work wow. that these gents have done just in that short amount of time. But as you would expect with uh, Donny Kate's story, it is instantly as big as possible. He tells these industrial scale stories <laughs> that make full use of like this kind of grand voice and the reaching into all different corners of the universe and certainly different elements of Marvel history in a big way. Of course, a big thing that happened, a big, I mean, big isn't even quite the word for it, but a a massive universe-shaking thing that happened in Infinity Wars was the death of Thanos. Thanos was beheaded in battle, and it's a fascinating thing for so many reasons, and it's really cool to see the team that brought us Thanos wins analyze the aftermath of that and and what that means not just for Thanos because Thanos the mad titan he is not only a super powerful being but he's a super powerful mind uh, and he plans for all things including his own death which is a really fascinating way to start this story so twisted yeah like the idea that he's so evil he's like you know what He's just sitting there having his morning latte (laughs) or his chai or whatever. He's like, you know what? If I die, people are going to be like, okay, what if I put myself in a new body and tell all the most powerful people this, but don't tell them who or where or what? And like, I'm not even going to see it, but this sounds great. It's an amazing question to ask, and it's such a, a perfect way to kick off a story. It's also really cool to see Donnie not just assemble his own team, but also put his spin on the kind of classic elements of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm thinking of Peter Quill, of course. I'm thinking of Groot in a really big way, which he's doing some really different, really cool work with. I love to see that. I love to see different creators' fingerprints on these characters while also um, keeping them true to you know the legacy of them. And we know that, for one thing, I love that the new Guardians ship is called the Rider. So good. Um, don't say why. Let the reader find say why. Out. It was so good. Uh, yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about how you watch and see 
how our writers are putting in their favorite characters where they can. Mm -hmm. Like Donnie, he fits in Beta Ray Bill in here because he loves Beta Ray Bill. Ed Brisson will always find a way to put Glob Herman in a book. Yes. Jason often finds a way to put Wolverine in a book. You know, like when they're given that opportunity, they make it sing. No, completely. Like having Cosmic Ghost Rider and Beta Ray Bill front and center in this book, it... They just yeah, uh, and 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 you know, there's one thing that you can think of. Like Donnie has a definite cinematic style of storytelling, and the kind of the title card equivalent in this issue is one of my favorites. You know, in the last year or so, yeah. I loved it so much. It was like the perfect kind of badass welcome to the team kickoff uh, first issue moment. Yeah, and it was just a totally delightful, enjoyable, while also being harrowing and really exciting and action-packed uh, yeah, issue number one. It does play off of a lot of events in recent cosmic stories and you know Infinity War and all this other stuff, but it is super-duper new reader-friendly. Yeah. Like, if you have not been reading Infinity War, which I don't know, you're missing out on some good stuff. If you've not been reading Guardians, if you whatever it is, you can pick this up. So good. Uh, also so good is Immortal Hulk number 12, and uh, it is written by Al Ewing. Pencils in the main story by Joe Bennett. Pencils and inks in the flashbacks by Eric Gwynn. And Roy Jose does the main story inks with colors throughout by Paul Mounts and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. We're digging deeper into these lower hells, seeing the one below all, uh, seeing the darkness inside and around the Hulk, really seeing much of what caused Hulk to fracture and smash. And uh, just a trigger warning for anyone who gets into this, there's more abuse in this story. There's, mm-hmm. you know, with Bruce's father, spousal abuse, child abuse, like very difficult things. And it's not played at all for humor and it's not played frivolously. It is very powerful stuff. I appreciated the smart ways they used captions to sort of block out some things that I don't need. You get what you need to get out of right. something without having to see certain things, which I think it still remains as horrifying and terrible and shows the gravity of all that has created the Hulk. There's intense stuff as it has been. This uh, this whole issue is talking about the natures of origins of evil and shining a light on the Hulk and so much more. Really, really cool. Next up is Man Without Fear, number four. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Each of these issues so far has kind of zoomed in on a different element of Matt Murdock's life in a really fascinating way. We've kind of analyzed his relationship with Foggy. We've analyzed his relationship with the Defenders. And then kind of certain even bigger influences kind of always looming over the entire thing. And this issue focuses in on his relationship with the Kingpin, with Wilson Fisk. Obviously, there are so many layers here. There's knowing, there's not knowing, there's the kind of dichotomous element of Matt Murdock's life, his professional working relationship with Wilson Fisk, which has been, you know, obviously incredibly difficult and fraught. And then, of course, there's the personal hidden side of of Daredevil and the Kingpin, which is, of course, all there. So to see this all filtered through Matt in such a vulnerable state, you know, I think it totally does justice to the legacy of these two characters and their relationship. We also get some really cool flashback scenes that are played in different ways. And then we kind of have this devil figure that is kind of haunting Matt and haunting his every choice that he's kind of ever made. And not only do we get to see that in this issue, we also get to see, you know, a, a really interestingly empathetic perspective, not in a way that's like like a nice 
pet or something like that with Wilson Fisk, but certainly in a way that's like in order to create a great villain, you, you need to understand them and empathize them and see their perspective on everything as well as you do with your, your hero. And you can really feel that with Jet's perspective here. And I think he's really been just climbing the stairs over recent months and he's getting higher and higher and on, I know, a lot of people's lists and just great writers. And uh, yeah, this one definitely continues that for me. This is my favorite issue of the series. Yeah. So far. Like this was the one that was like, wow, he gets the dynamic. He gets that feeling. Um, I was thinking about the title of the book, Man Without Fear, and thinking about this, you know, the thought. I think it might have been in, it's probably been in other comics, but I remember it from Born Again. It's like, a man without hope is a man without fear. Mm -hmm. And so Matt's been like driven to the brink. Yeah. And he's been full of fear. But this issue, like, Kingpin just goes too far. And it like, it's the thing that Matt needs, even though he knows he didn't need it he's been terrified 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 it's hopeless and he like just like do it if you're gonna do it do it and at that moment the fear breaks like this great scene oh so good yeah love really the awesome. hell out of this issue up next is moon girl and devil dinosaur number 39 written by brandon montclair art by natasha bustos colors by tamar von Valain, and letters by vcs travis i just want to say up front natasha bustos and tamara von Valain, are incredible. Their run almost, it's a good chunk of this series. Yeah. They have been doing incredible work throughout, and especially in this issue. They do such a vibrant, clear, wonderful storytelling style. Evocative of classic Marvel comics, but fun and weird and modern with Lunella, who's far from this perfect hero, getting to play with all kinds of neat stuff. And in this arc, Lunella is going up against a new character named Bad Dream, sort of kid take on what I think is one of the coolest Marvel villains, Nightmare. Nightmare, I just love Nightmare. He's got his green costume. There's certain ways. Sam Keith draws Nightmare wildly well. Of course, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko way back in 1963. But he has this horse. And he rides this horse and just... The visual of Nightmare on the Horse has always been one of my favorite things. Yeah. This evil lord of your subconscious is really terrifying right. to me. Yeah. And so we get that. He's always been one of the most visually appealing and, and storytelling villains for me. He's in this issue. He and Bad Dream mess with Lunella and all the folks of Yancey Street. Fortunately, she has some help. And uh, by the end of the issue, it's you know she's building up a little squad. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Next up is Shuri number four. It's written by Nitty Okorafor with art by Leonardo Romero, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Whoa, what a team that is. Just reading it out loud is just like an awesome reminder, let alone reading the actual issue itself. And of course, we have another spectacular cover by Mr. Sam Spratt. Gorgeous pencils, gorgeous work across the board. Something that's really interesting, and, and I'm glad that there are no comics between the letters M-O and S-H this week, is because... Mosh! Mosh! Yeah, mosh! I just got a mosh! Um, is because I think this shared some really interesting things in common with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur this week, and of course, in a kind of perennial way, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and that is 
the mixture of the kind of personal life and the superhero life and how the superhero life impacts the personal life and vice versa and how beyond just like the nature of one's psyche and decision making is always going to be informed by the same exact things but just literally the way that one has to manage and juggle these these multiple things uh, that was something that's super fun with this week's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and that's something that is kind of was kind of introduced as a concept really to the Marvel Universe via Spider-Man. Uh, we start this story at uh, a concert in this this takes place just outside of Timbuktu but then we also flash to the Wakanda countryside and things like that. It is instantly fresh and so much fun to see and it's so much fun to see it all filtered through Shuri's way of doing things on the kind of natural like youthful perspective she has on it all and more and more as we're digging into this story we're seeing her bumping up against the responsibilities of being kind of a superhero is one of those things that is just a hue that kind of emerges over time it's a feeling that you get when you read it there's also some incredible action and art in this issue, uh, Leo Romero, we've spoken at length about our love for him and his work. Just so much fun to just look at his visuals. He, uh, you know, has done some of my favorite series uh, over the past couple of years, and this is certainly going to be added to the list. It's really great, and if. You've taken a peek at the cover for issue number five. You will know a certain big-time superhero that's going to join in, and I can't wait to see those interactions on their way. Loving what Nettie's doing here. Is that a cruise horn? That is the Moses Magnum alarm. Guys, Moses Magnum is in this comic. You have missed out (laughs) on talking about one of the coolest villains. Moses Magnum. When I was a kid, I read about Moses Magnum. I was like, that's the greatest name <laughs> yeah. ever. I think you're going to throw up, person. <laughs> I, I was an audio nightmare. I wanna, I wa- so we have evil producer Brandon, right? Yes. I think Persia needs a similar title. Something. Is there a, a, an alliterative word that Powerful is like a synonym? Powerful producer Persia? I, I was thinking something more that's like a synonym for exasperated. <laughs> Perturbed producer yeah, Persia? Yeah, that's good. Triple P. So <laughs> Triple P was very upset by the sound I made, but I couldn't help it. That's the Moses Magnum alarm, yeah. you guys. It comes out whenever Moses appears. We don't have a choice. We have no choice. <laughs> I love Moses Magnum. It may be so. He's not even in his completely, truthfully, terrible costumes. Yeah. <laughs> I love his weird looks over the years. He's a 70s character. He's got like seismic powers and stuff <laughs> whatever yeah he's yeah, yeah. just so cool <laughs> he's always been the coolest to me i was just very happy to see him show up in this issue it made me real happy anyway next book is star wars number 60 oh man this issue written by kieran gillen art by on helen with colors by guru effects and letters by vc's clayton cowles and awesome cover by jamal campbell the scar squadron they're in here and they're this group of badass stormtroopers who have been through a whole bunch. We've seen them previously in, in Star Wars. They're really cool. But they're on Hubin. And this issue starts out with Luke getting smooched. Not by the Scar Squadron. <laughs> I will make that very clear. And then he's thrust into a duel with Creel, the one, the member of the Scar Squadron who has a lightsaber, who's fairly good with it. You know, you always think of just Jedi or Sith with lightsabers. Because yeah. I guess everybody else cuts their fingers off most of the time. Sure. I guess it's I a laser it. sword, yeah. so you know, be careful, kids. And so we get this this sort of duel, and they go go at it. Some business happens. What really gets us moving is how the Marcona clan, the residents of Huben, 
they actually like play into the battle between the Empire and the Rebellion. I thought that was fascinating and really meaty and sort of ties in how this arc really fits into the Star Wars lore. And it's got big moves, big battles, big emotions, big action. And the last few pages are delightful. Yeah. Some of my favorites of this run so far. Next up is Superior Spider-Man number two. It's written by Christos Gage with pencils by Mike Hawthorne. Inks by Wade Von Graubadger with Victor Olazaba. Colors by Jordi Belair. And letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This issue sees a villain that I was previously not super familiar with until I read Marvel.com writer Jim Beard's piece on him this week. I came up with this uh, piece with Jim. It's this thing we do every week called Did You Know? And it's like the most mighty Marvel old school language kind of like alliterative and exclamation points and super fun look at some of the the weirder or fun facts of the Marvel universe. And this week, Jim wrote, uh, did you know Terax the Tamer? Uh, and that is the villain that we get to see here. In, in learning about that, Terax is kind of like a cosmic villain with kind of roots in the Fantastic Four. So to see him go up against the Superior Spider-Man here is super fun. I'll, I just love the different flavor that the Superior Spider-Man brings to a book yeah. like this. What I find fascinating about Terax is like he's the flip side of the coin to the Silver Surfer. Right. They're both heralds of Galactus. But it's like Silver Surfer is what if Galactus gave the cosmic power to someone who sacrificed himself to save their planet, who is good-natured, who is a strong, noble person. Terax is, what if Galactus gave his powers to a tyrant, to a conqueror, to a piece of just beef jerky? Yeah. I was going to (laughs) curse. And so he's just a a big meanie. Yeah. I love him. I I, I really... He's really cool in a way that, like, yes, he's super powerful, but also, like, there's a very concussive way that he fights. Like, he's, like, this kind of, like, rock-solid guy, and, you know, so any encounter with him is just, like, ends in rubble. So that just adds to the scale of everything. That adds to the difference in how he fights versus how the Superior Spider-Man fights. But, yeah, I mean, Christos Gage, of course, he knows these characters incredibly well. He knows the Spider-Man universe incredibly well. So to see him take this toy out of the toy box, Terax, and, and, and throw him around like this is just super fun. Have you ever read Amazing Spider-Man 229? Maybe. Spider-Man versus the Juggernaut. It's one of those classic, this is a Spider-Man story. Mm -hmm. And this sort of reminded me of that vibe. Right. There was Spider-Man versus the Juggernaut. It's like, there's no way Spidey can win, but he keeps fighting. In this one, it's no way that Superior can win up against cosmic-powered force, but he keeps fighting. I I really loved it. Next issue is Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 1. This is the return of Cyclops. Is that that how we say his name? Cyclops? Uh, It's been too long. Yeah, I I can't pronounce it. (laughs) This is written by Ed Brisson, art by Carlos Gomez, colors by Guru Effects and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This is the how and the why and the when of it all. It involves uh, sort of an old adventure that Cyclops had as a young X-Man. has... Young Sexy Cable, or YSC, as I am now going to refer to him Mm as. It ties to Disassembled, ties to Death of X, ties to the resurrection of Jean Grey, ties to AVX, ties to all this stuff. It's really, I I liked how this was sort of thread through all these major events for Cyclops and for the X-Men. Carlos Gomez, I'm not super familiar with his work, but he has a kind of a 
a little bit of a Mark Brooks pencils vibe. Hmm. Mark Brooks, when he does pencils, interior work more so than when he does the cover work. Uh, you can look at like some Ultimate Spider-Man stuff that he did. I think you know he doesn't do a lot of interiors at this yeah. point, but very detailed, very organic. But this is a story of cause and effect, action and consequence, death and life, hope and the future. Also, I am digging YSC much more than I thought I would, much more and more each appearance. So give me more of that young, sexy cable. You know, speaking of YSC and then by the transitive property, just C, that would be just cable. Hey, go back and listen to the last episode of uh, This Week in Marvel that uh, went out uh, last Friday. Yeah, you were on that. Yeah, I, uh, I made a special surprise appearance like when George Jefferson showed up on All in the Family and, you know, How do you like know that. those references? <laughs> you and me sitting at an upright piano. <laughs> that's that's what the, the intro theme song needs to be for Marvel's pull list. Oh, I love um, it. Anyway, uh, I got to sit down and, and get on the phone with Rob Liefeld, and we talked about Major X and all the news that has come out in recent days about that and uh, about his work from, you know, kind of the legendary days of New Mutants in the early 90s and his creation of Deadpool and C and Domino and things like that and how Major X is going to kind of tie back into those days in really interesting ways. So, uh, yeah, wanted to seize upon that opportunity to talk about C and thus RL. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. And TWIM. Uh, Look at that. Moving on to WIH, that's War Is Hell. Number one, this is the last book of the week, and it is my second pick of the week. This is another great Marvel 80th anniversary tale that kind of uh, reaches back in time to comics of the 30s and 40s and things like that that are way more down to earth in, in a practical sense, in a visual sense, in a way that means there isn't a ton of superhero stuff where it's kind of really just uh, these interesting stories told in uh, in this instance uh, about war and about fighting uh, in war and about the difficulties and the ravages of what that means. This has two stories. The first one is Swing Verboten, which has story and art by Howard Chaikin, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by Ken Bruzenak. And then the second one is War Devil, which is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Alberto Albuquerque, colors by Andres Mosa and letters by Ken Bruzenak. I'm so excited for the 80th anniversary for this exact reason as we kind of examine all these different eras and, you know, in the last eight decades of comics and of what Marvel has meant in that space and what Marvel has explored and done and kind of taking a a 2019 sensibility and revisiting these different things and infusing it with modern words and, and modern visuals that certainly harken back to the style of the old days, but are put in a way that is as relevant as ever. Swing Verboten is this really cool kind of like dogfight kind of air battle uh, thing story that's told in a, like a, a great idiosyncratic voice that I really loved so much. Do you know much about Howard Chicken? No. Yeah. Howard Chicken is... I know the name. Uh, he's a legend. Yeah. Uh, most of, I think, this generation's comic book writers and artists are influenced by Howard in one way or another. Mm-hmm. He's he's a writer. He's an artist. Mm-hmm. He's done incredible work. His sort of design sensibility and his dialogue and his his pacing. Uh, I know Bendis was very very influenced mm-hmm. by Chaikin. I believe Fraction was, you know, a lot of creators are. He's done monumental work. It's really, really interesting, 
creative guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool reading that story because there are no superheroes in that story. It's really just a soldier's story, a pilot's story. But to see the personality emerge as you go through the pages, the relationships that feel so of the era but feel so real at the same time is, is so much fun. And then with War Devil is really a, a totally kind of haunting tale about this woman that's kind of thrust into the middle of, of war, has to look out for herself, but then we're also examining so many different angles of conflict and how that impacts someone. Yeah, uh, the writer of that second story, yeah. Phil Kennedy Johnson, mm-hmm. he's Eisner-nominated writer, done a ton of work. I don't think he's done much for us mm-hmm. previous to this, but trumpet player for the U.S. Army Field Band, which is neat. And uh, in his bio on Twitter, he says, puncher of Nazis. So <laughs> automatically, one of my favorites. Yeah. There's also this and Crypt of Shadows have great back matter. Do we, I don't think yeah. we talked about that too much. Yeah. Crypt of Shadows has a great piece by Jim Beard that is very similar to a very condensed version of our This Week in Marvel horror episode really a lot of similarities and there's some favorite covers of i think the of the editor in that book and this one war as hell has a really great piece about war comics just a brief history but something really neat and it, it's i'm glad it spotlights the nom because the nom is one of those fantastic really gut punch series but if you've never read it it is definitely worth a read it is intense very well well done Really great stuff. And then the the covers that are picked in the back are by Howard Chaikin. And right. He gives some really interesting insight into those things. It's great to have that back matter. Yeah, totally. Uh, really wonderful. Collections on sale this week. We have Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, Volume 5, Deal with the Devil, Black Panther, Book 6, Intergalactic Empire of Wakanda, Part 1, Cosmic Ghost Rider, Baby Thanos Must Die, Daredevil, Back in Black, Volume 8, Death of Daredevil, Extermination, Marvel 2-in-1, Volume 2, Next of Kin, and New Mutants by Abnett and Lanning, The Complete Collection, Volume 1. Some really good stuff in there. On the digital collections this week, uh, there's some cool Wolverine stuff, but my If you've never read it, how dare you pick of the week is Strange Tales 2 hitting our digital collections for the first time. It's like indie comics and weird comics creators doing Marvel stuff. It is Incredible. Nice. Really, really great. Uh, on Marvel Unlimited, we got a lot of stuff in here. Jessica Jones, number one. Cloak and Dagger, number one. Life of Captain Marvel, number one. Those right there, you got to get your Marvel Unlimited popping. There's Nightside, which I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so that's in there. Get ready for that. You got uh, some old 70s Power Man stuff, which is really neat to always find. It's great. Everybody should be using it. Yeah. Yeah. That's our episode this week. And we, we've got a great new nickname for uh, our producer, Persia. So remember, that is Perturbed Producer Persia, and Triple P. And I want to say, it's not because she's inherently perturbed. No, she's, she's perturbed she's, at us, exactly. perpetually perturbed at us. Exactly. It's because we are just misfits. I have bad posture, apparently, um, which I was told off for earlier. Yeah, I don't get close enough to the microphone. <laughs> hot mic. Real hot mic. Uh, anyway, she she is holding <laughs> her head. She is perturbed. It is uh, fantastic. Yeah. It is very accurate. Yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah, you know, she's trying so hard to end this. She's like, <laughs> her finger is on the trigger, which means we need to go. We need to get out of here. It's late in the day. I'm Ryan, and I'm Tucker. This is Marvel, your universe.